we have a, a tendency to want to dive into the analytics, right? And, and, and that's, that's very different from historically how we just watched basketball game. So now that you have this type of data, imagine providing this data to fans. Um, I think another big piece is really enhancing the broadcast experience. I mean, linear television hasn't really changed for 20, 30 years. So now you have the opportunity where you can use this raw XYZ data, you can use this raw data insights to help with storytelling, give the basis and the analysis on why they made that run, the impact of number 25 when number 25 comes into the game. So that's, that's just some examples of how I see it you know, impacting the experience. You're listening to Sports Tech Feed, the global sports technology podcast. Yes, that's right. You're listening to Sports Tech Feed. Thank you again for joining us this week. Uh, we've got a fantastic chat with Davian Ross, co-founder and president of Shot Tracker. So Shot Tracker is a basketball data capture and analytics company. And with the upcoming holiday season, very, very pertinent. So happy, happy, uh, Merry Christmas if you're celebrating. Happy Hanukkah if you are celebrating that as well. And, and, and whatever your belief, something that I think we can all get around is a day of fantastic basketball games on Christmas Day. So very timely, uh, talking about the future of basketball analytics uh, tech with Davian. We touch on quite a few different things, including sports betting and how latency and and real-time data is incredibly important to that. Uh, Also talk a little bit about where he sees the future growth for it and the current status quo when it comes to college versus pro in terms of the rules that are around how tech is enabling uh, athletes, coaches, fans uh, to get their hands on that data. So really interesting chat. I'd also recommend you should check out our previous episodes if you haven't done so already. Uh, Last week was Dr. Georgie Bruinvilles talking all about blood biomarkers. Really interesting stuff there. Uh, And then we've also had Michael Cole from the Ryder Cup European Tour Uh, Tom Nugent from Platypus Institute talking neuroscience and brain plasticity. So as we come into this holiday season, plenty of stuff for you to uh, sink your ears into uh, over the period. If you've got any uh, comments, feedback, questions, anything at all, you just want to wish me a happy holidays, thomas at sportstechfeed.com. Be great to hear from you. As always as well, please like and subscribe on your chosen podcast uh, platform. It's great for increasing the visibility so others can share in the learnings as well. But without further ado, here is Davian Ross. Welcome to Sports Tech Feed. Uh, Davian Ross, co-founder and president of Shot Tracker. Hey, how you doing, man? It's a pleasure to be here. Thank you for having me. Obviously, you just had the Hall of Flame Classic, which we'll get into a little bit. But first of all, for those that don't know, what is Shot Tracker and what is the problem you're trying to solve? Absolutely. So Shot Tracker is a sensor-based technology that tracks statistics and analytics in real time. Um, our definition of real time is, is sub-second latency. Um, it consists of a sensor on the player, a sensor in the ball of which we have our sensors in most, if not all, basketballs, um, brands. And then also we place sensors around the arena that allows us to track the player and ball within two to four centimeters at 120 times per second. So really some incredible data, uh, location data. Then we have an algorithmic layer that sits on top of the XYZ data that, that is output that allows us to do event classification and really break down the statistics for 
players, coaches, fans, uh, broadcast partners, and you know many other different constituents in the future. Yep. And so is that uh, all within basketball? Yeah. So initially, so our company name, which is something that people don't necessarily know, is really data-driven sports. Um, we're starting with basketball, and um, and starting with basketball is something that we have a passion for, a love for, a lot of great relationships, a lot of great partners. But I mean, the ultimate goal is to be able to extrapolate this to other sports. Yeah. And so, why basketball? Why start with with basketball as, as your um, sportive choice you know, to kind of conquer first? Yeah, basketball is one of those sports where, you know, people are trying to solve this, right? Um, there's a lot of big bodies. There's a small ball. Uh, it's not an enormous field. Um, to be able to, to track the data um, and to, to, to be able to deal with some of the occlusion that you would get from other ways of actually um, trying to track. Um, it's, a, it's a heavy statistical environment. And, of course, it's something that we have a passion for. So um, anything you have a passion for, it makes it a little bit easier for the emotional roller coaster that is a startup. So we wanted to start with basketball, great relationships. Uh, we were able to dive right in, great domain expertise. Um, I played, I, I played for the Trinidad national team. I had, I played, I got a scholarship to play basketball in college and studied computer science and math. So it's kind of the best of both worlds. Um, and basketball was like the ideal place for us to start. Yeah, definitely. It's something interesting about a uniform, small playing size where it's actually a lot of um, sports don't actually have that, you know, that tiny kind of square that you're working with, as you said, yeah. but such a rich data um, that comes out of that. Absolutely. And with, and with the speed um, that it's necessary, if you think about baseball, baseball is a large field, much slower. I mean, basketball, if you turn your head, you can miss a play. Um, so it's, it's definitely a fast environment. And historically what we've seen is that um, the professional teams have had access to analytics and data um, because of the costs associated with it um, and, the, and the, the, the price barriers for, for quite some time. But, you know, the next level, whether it be college, high school, or even semi-pro, haven't necessarily had access to that type of data. Yeah, so well... Opportunity. Yeah, well, let's, let's dive into that. Now, there's some kind of use cases that you can talk to at that, um, at that college level and that you've done recently. Yeah, absolutely. So, you know, we, we really focus on the college market. Um, we're starting to explore the pro market with some things we did in the summer league also. Um, but, but really have started to penetrate the college market, doing conference deals, relationships, and, you know, having a ton of schools. I mean, at any point in time, we could see, you know, 30, 40, 50 schools from our mission control here at the office actually working out and practicing at, at that point in time. So yeah, so for us, it's really been, you know, how do we start really, really penetrating the collegiate market um, to deliver our solution? Yep, and, and within that, so working with a whole lot of schools, can you drill down to specific use cases? As you said, um, you know, what is Shot Tracker in terms of that data capture and analytics? Um, I guess splitting that into coaches, players, and then fans. Is there kind of use cases you can talk to for all three? Absolutely, I can. So um, let's start with the players. So a lot of times we see players working out during the summer. Um, the beautiful thing about shot trackers is that they don't have to turn anything on. They put a sensor on and they dribble the basketball and they go, go ahead with their workout. 
um, either while they're working out or when they're done with their workout, they could actually get a full breakdown of how they performed. Um, shot attempts makes misses from different shot zones, etc. So as a player, um, that really helps you. I mean, we all know in business, you can't really improve what you don't measure. So as a player, I'm able to look and say, oh, wow, I was one for 10 over here, but I was nine for 10 over here. That helps me understand, hey, game time, these are where I want to take my shots. And then in practice time, oh, wow, maybe I need to shoot an extra few shots from this location because that, you know, right, left pivot is not working out as well as the left, right. Mm. Um, that's something as simple, right, based on what you're doing. For coaches, I think what we've seen is that a lot of times coaches use preseason games. Um, they use the early games before they get into conference tournaments to really start understanding their team. And I think that's one of the things that we can help with because we actually break down the data from, you know, both practice and games, we can actually start helping people understand what the, the, the optimal team is. How does this team perform when this team is in the game or when this team is, when these individuals are on the same team, um, what are the drivers that, that, that results in the highest points per possession? It may be X number of ball reversals. It may be paint touches. It may be the number of passes. It may be a certain play that they run. So from coach's perspective, not only do they understand where do I need to put what players in what positions to get the highest points for possession, but I start understanding my team as a whole and the dynamics of my team, which I think is really, really critical. Yeah. Because if you understand those drivers, then you can optimize those drivers to get the best result possible. Yeah. Um, and then when you think about fans, you know, what, what we're dealing in a, in a society or in today's age where, you know, information is readily accessible, right? Whether it's on Twitter, whether it's, I don't know about you, but I've heard about a lot of things happening, you know, in all worlds across the country um, on Twitter, right? Yeah. One thing that I see a ton on Twitter is like, while basketball games are going on, you have coaches talking about the game and people accessing this data and, re and responding to this data. So we're in a day and age where people are, have access to much more data than they historically have had access to just about a basketball game. Well, I mean, it's a, it's almost an expectation. these Absolutely. days. It's, it's beyond a, it's there if you want it. It's an expectation that you will have access to rich, Absolutely. complex data. Yeah. yeah, exactly. And then when you think about the analytical side of it, you have to think about, oh, wow, the analytical side of things, we are actually, um, we, 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 we have a, a, a tendency to want to dive into the analytics, right? And, and, and that's, that's very different from historically how we just watched basketball games. Yeah. So now that you have this type of data, imagine providing this data to fans. Um, I think another big piece is really enhancing the broadcast experience. I mean, linear television hasn't really changed for 20, 30 years. So now you have the opportunity where you can use this raw XYZ data, you can use this raw data insights to help with storytelling, give the basis and the analysis on why they made that run, the impact of number 25 when number 25 comes into the game. So that's, that's just some examples of how I see it, you know, impacting the experience. And when you look at like, you know, fantasy and everything that people are doing today, those are all data rich environments. So yeah. the more data we can provide via you know, almost every mechanism, the better. And so circling back to the use cases for coaches, correct me if I'm wrong, but currently in the NCAA, uh, so college basketball, uh, coaches can't use rich, these kind of complex data in game. Is that correct? Yeah. So, so the, 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 act, the actual statement 
just want to, you know, I want to make sure I get this right, is that, <laughs> I mean, the, the, the NCAA prohibits, quote unquote, the electronic distribution of data to the bench area. Yeah. So what that means is, you know, um, the consumption of data via a tablet or a device or technology on the bench is prohibited. Now, they can look at data before the game, they could look at data at half in the locker room, but they can't. Well, until November 18th of 2008, till November of 2018, they couldn't have access to electronics on the bench. Um, yeah. We feel very fortunate to be, you know, part of the change that's helping to change the game of basketball as it relates to that. Um, and we're very, very fortunate and excited about that. In November of 2018, was the first time ever via a waiver from the NABC and the NCAA that they've allowed technology on the bench. So with that current, that status quo, and obviously a waiver is a you know, one-off or, or certain, um, certain games, certain series, and then that's moving towards eventually having it league-wide. But at the moment, is it a true statement to say that some fans via video broadcast will have better access to data than coaches on the bench? Oh, absolutely, absolutely. Yeah. That is a, that Which is just a, just seems insane. Just seems yeah, just seems thing. absolutely insane. Yeah. Well, I will tell you what. Um, you know, that was November two thousand eighteen. November two thousand nineteen, we did the same thing again. And what has happened is we've worked with several conferences, and um, due to several conferences getting approvals, um, for example, the Mountain West, there are now ten conferences who have submitted waivers for the two thousand. 1920 season and 10 conferences who have received approval of those waivers to allow the electronic transmission of data on the bench. Yeah. And so speaking about um, one of your recent use cases, uh, which was the Hall of Fame Classic, can you, can you give a bit of background around that? And then basically, I guess the journey, because you've been working on that for a little bit and then um, this Absolutely. year and then, and then I guess where it's going to go in, in 2020. Absolutely. So we, we, um, the Hall of Fame Classic is a partnership between the NABC, NCAA, Shot Tracker, and um, they've had the Hall of Fame game. It's part of the, an exceptional weekend where they actually bring in players into the College Hall of Fame. Um, this year was, you know, uh, Shane Battier and, you know, several others. And um, they were great teams. They always have great teams in the, in the, in the event. And what we've done is used that to really work with the NCAA and the NABC to push the envelope. So part of that is, you know, putting, you know, tech on the bench for the last couple of years, getting feedback from the teams, how they use it, what worked, what didn't work, et cetera. Um, and, you know, I think in the future, every year, we're going to try to push the envelope in regards to what can be done. So next year, our hope is to be able to not only have stats on the bench, but also have video on the bench. Because imagine if you can actually give video on the bench as part of the stats experience, then when a player comes out, you can actually click on a specific mm. example. If click on all of his buckets to say, hey, this is how you're scoring against this team. Or this is where you missed and this is where you should have gone. Yeah, visualization, giving it to the athlete in a form they can readily digestible, you know, in a, in a, in a timeout, they're not going to have time to go, I need to read a report or even a jar of visualization, it's something going absolutely very, very, I mean, very clear. Yeah, that player comes out the game and you could click on the last possession and use it as an opportunity to teach. 
So those are all like critical, critical um, components to the success of, of what's going on in the game. And so for us, we're going to always use the, the Hall of Fame Classic as a way to really push the envelope and, you know, tell the story and, and make things happen. Fantastic. So that was, what was the difference between last year, this year, in terms of what you were um, yeah, implementing? Yeah, so I think last year, this year, we, um, you know, the, the, the consumption of the data on the bench was, was pretty similar. The big thing that was different is the integration on broadcast. Yeah. Uh, it was much more streamlined. Um, it was utilizing the broadcast partners graphics engines, which, um, you know, it was, it was very, very, very much more streamlined than it was in 2018. So that okay. was the big And I think next year we're going to see more streamlining in that process. And our hope is that we're able to implement video as part yep. of the experience. So speaking about and kind of circling back to the use cases um, and also your introduction, you mentioned it's real time, zero latency. So is that, I guess, zero latency, is that, is that the kind of the holy grail in terms of what you're working towards? Because a lot of people say real time and I mean, real, what is real time? Yeah, five se five seconds is not real time, like when it, when it comes down yeah. to this. Yeah, so I'll give you an example. So you're right, a lot of people say, real time, right? But their definition of real time is very different. For us, you know, think about this. So we've got sensors and balls that communicate to our court sensors and our court sensors uses POE, brings that data back to our server, which actually does calculations to figure out the location of every ball and player on the court all in real time. And then that sends it to the cloud, you know, we, we you know, whatever your cloud compute is. And then it goes to, let's say you have AT&T as your mobile provider, then it goes to the AT&T servers, then it comes down to your phone. Um, we've been able to do all of that route, including our compute in the cloud and also locally, you know, in less than eight milliseconds. So when we talk about real time, we, we, we had to actually change our thought process and our communication to sub-second latency mainly because the word real time was being thrown out. So yeah, it's a common word. Yeah. It's a bit nonsensical. Yeah, exactly. And the definition. So we actually started saying real time with sub-second latency to be able to clarify that, you know, our definition of real time is not like everybody else's. And so the beautiful thing about that is now you can actually incorporate stuff during the broadcast on the live broadcast without any issues. Because, you know, you actually have to slow down the data to get to the broadcast. Or in some cases, if you wanted to drive some level of enhancements or augment the video experience on the video board, you could now do that during live play. What I mean by that is, you know, the, the, the game is, there's 10 seconds left to the game. They're walking the ball up the court. You can throw up a couple medallions on the hot shooters with the hot spots. So, and the announcers could be saying, hey, this is where they should be taking their shots because yeah. they've been successful. They're seven of 10 on the right wing and they're one of 10, two of 10, three of 10 everywhere else. And by the way, Thomas is the one who should be, he's got the hot hand right now. I, so I, like, don't, I, don't, think, I don't think they're ever going to say that. Uh, so Thomas, is, right. Thomas is going for a layup and he'll probably, he'll Listen, probably, this is your he'll probably miss it. But yeah, okay, mate. Yeah, definitely. Whatever you want it to be. Yeah, yeah. He's going for half court. 
he's going to half court shot. Right now, yeah. you're like seventy-seven percent from the field. This is yeah. your podcast. You can be whatever okay. you If that was it, I, I'd be going back and checking checking your data collection. I think there might be some <laughs> errors there, but no. Yeah, and, and and so what I ask about zero latency or, or real time because uh, that has, I mean, in some applications, one or two seconds, three seconds, five seconds, it's not really um, going to matter that much in terms of all right, well, where you're looking at, say, coaching about, well, you get the data, but the time that you have to analyze that, and then in between that, it's not as important. Obviously, it's not ideal, but the application I'm thinking about is sports betting. So obviously, Supreme Court decision in the US. Um, kind of changed everything last year. That's definitely something in 2020 is going to keep ramping up. Um, and I know that latency is a huge issue in sports betting if you're actually getting the data in to be able to have in-game betting, real time, to be able to lay that on. You need zero latency because otherwise that presents a um, advantage, a disadvantage. Is that is that something to, you can speak to about why latency is so important in, say, uh, yeah, betting no, applications? I yeah, I can at a high level. I will tell you that, you know, for us, um, you know, sports betting, you know, at least for us with, 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 with officially tracking the data and providing data applies to like the professional realm, yep. you know, because of everything that, you know, they're trying to figure out in college. So, I mean, with college data, we don't necessarily, we don't make that available to, yeah. you know, the, the purpose of, of, of what people want to consume it for is very important for us, you know, in the short term. Um, but, but as it relates to professional and just sports betting in general, you know, we, you know, sports betting is almost like, I don't know if you remember high frequency trading when yes. people were with the stock market, people were trying to get machines closer to what was happening in the data in the stock market, because, you know, every second counted, every sub-second counted. Yeah. It was a uh, flash and, boys. I think it's a good, yeah, flash um, boys is a great example, which is also uh, by the same author as Moneyball. So yeah, exactly. Was, yeah. Well, I mean, I think the same principles apply where, you know, speed is everything, especially when you run one, when you want to run, you know, algorithms, if you think about like financial companies, they have so many models and algorithms that they've run, you know, it'd be pretty easy for them to move those over to the sports betting world and, and to be able to consume that data. So from our perspective, um, we, we, you know, we a hundred percent believe that um, speed is speed is probably one of the most important. I think it's speed and accuracy are probably yeah. the two most important pieces as it relates to, you know, some of these domains that you're talking about, you know, namely sports betting. Yeah, definitely. And, and, and then it's, you know, and, it, and it's the two, um, it's the two things that we focus on the most. Yeah. Speed and accuracy. So uh, you mentioned there about the, the difference between obviously the sports betting application is within professional and then in college is, it's got its own completely own kettle of fish. Uh, where do you see basically the, the growth trajectory for Shot Tracker? Is it focusing kind of on college um, and a grassroots sport that obviously massive but but fairly distributed market or is it pro? Is it everything? Is it kind of halo effect at pro and then work down or kind of go either yeah, way? I mean, specifically for shot tracker, we're going to be, you know, college pro international. And then I think the next leg of growth would be, you know, extrapolating this, this technology across different sports. Yep. So, so that's, that's kind of the order of, of, of our focus, you know, college, college pro, um, then, um, 
you know, international, as I said, and then, um, you know, looking at other sports. I mean, we may, we may look at other sports before international. Um, we're already starting to have some discussions with some folks. Um, so I think that's inevitable. But yep. we're really excited about, you know, that opportunity on how we can use this tech to, you know, extrapolate across other sports. And how long does it take to fit out a gym? Because obviously there's, I assume there's some sort of um, inbuilt infrastructure that you need in terms um, of sensors? Yeah, so from, you, you asked how long does it take to, to... Yeah, what's the process for actually, like, as you said, you know, a college, a college wants to come along and say, this looks yeah. great, we could use this. But how, long does it, how long does it take? And why, and like, what does that involve? Yeah, so, so traditionally we can get a practice facility done in sub-three days um, going in. I mean, we, we're getting much more efficient at that process. So, and then for an arena, you know, I would say sub-five days. Yeah, uh, you know, arenas are a little more complicated, a little bit larger, um, a little different rules in regards to what you can implement. Um, so those those are the time frames that we're working within. Yeah, and once it's installed and you've got people using it, practicing it, how does how does that work in terms of who owns the the data? So in, in terms of you have it, you have a data feed, um, as you said, saying who's hot, whatever. Because is it both coaches get the same? data feed um, of both teams or they just get the data feed of, of their players and then just the broadcast get those split data feeds that the coaches have and then once it's all said and done um, who kind of has has that to use because and I'm specifically thinking about in game rather than obviously if it's a practice facility the team that put it in the practice facility would own that data but specifically talking about a game yeah so um, so you're right on the practice side um, everybody controls their own data, right? Yep. And that data is not allowed out. I mean, from our perspective, just to set the, you know, we have a partnership with our schools and conferences where um, they own the data and we may have commercial license to use the data in partnership with them, et cetera. So yep. um, that's, that's a very uh, interesting but sticky topic and it's important to, you know, that look, they own their data, right? They're yep. data, yep. et cetera, but we do have partnerships that allow us to, you know, commercialize. Um, when it comes to a game, you know, historically we've seen it done multiple ways. We've seen, you know, both teams get access to the data. Yep. Use the data. Um, both teams get access to both sets of data during the game. Yep. Um, but then we've had people who said, hey, we only want um, team A to get access to team A's data. Team B get access to team B's data. So, I mean, it really just depends on. I mean, we have some flexibility within the app that we can do both. Yep. It really just depends on the situation and how they want to make it happen, et cetera. And that comes from the conference? We'll decide that that's uh, what they it, want? It, it just depends on who is, whoever is the governing body, right? It gotcha. May, it may be whoever puts on a tournament. It may be the schools come together and decide. It may be a conference. So, I mean, as you know, the NCAA is, is uh, a fairly complex structure, right? As yep. they have... You know, the NCAA is a governing body. They have conferences, they have schools, they have, you know, ADs are pretty significantly involved. Then they go play in different tournaments that are owned and operated by different groups. So um, it's a fairly complicated structure. So, so it's, yeah, the dance around that. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. 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 Where would you say, this might be a tricky question for you, but say you were, um, 
the commissioner. I know, I know David Stern is is one of your advisors. You know, former commissioner. Would you say you were um, one day? This is my podcast, so I can do these hypotheticals, as you said. Okay. Uh, so, say you were the commissioner. What what would you think is best practice, or what would you like to see? Would you like to see uh, teams, you know, coach A, coach B, getting both of all the data, or would you like it split? Hmm. I mean, for me, I think that I want people to have as much data as possible. Yeah. I think that if you give people the data, it's always interesting to see how they would use it. Yeah. And some people embrace it more than others. Um, some people have the necessary resources to analyze it, and some yeah. don't. Some can care less. So. You know, from my perspective, I, I would push to have everybody just get access to the data, not practice, but game data, yep. so that they can use it for their purposes. And therefore, um, the differentiator is how they decide to use it, leverage it, integrate yep. it, et cetera. So that would be my, you know, that would be my approach just because I don't want to withhold anything from anybody. And I want to, I want to make, I want to give people the best opportunity to be competitive, you know? Yeah. And I guess level, level playing field. Yeah, exactly. Right. Hey, I'm going to give it all to you and you decide how you want to use it, when you use it, you know, what resources you need to use it, how deep you want to use it, et cetera. Yep. I mean, it just means there's more um, analyst jobs out there. So (laughs) that's good. I'm sure some people listening would be be happy with that answer. Absolutely. There's a lot of uh, math and computer science departments that are looking for stuff to do and looking for real data to play with. Yeah, definitely. It gives them an opportunity to collaborate, right? Like, imagine the academic departments working with the math and computer science departments to do some amazing things. I mean, we've done some of that at, you know, Johnson C. Smith, which is a historically black university. And, you know, their their computer science math chair is the one who went and wrote the National Science Foundation grants to get their team shot tracker. Yeah, um, their only caveat was that they needed to get access to the data. So um, it's one of those things where, you know, I think it creates a lot, a lot of opportunity for teams and universities, et cetera. Yeah, yeah, definitely. I think that's always a good thing if you do have academia integrating in uh, real world data. So, I mean, we might, if I can find something on that, I'll just share that in the show notes. Um, that is an example. So if there are any other academic institutions that kind of want to look at something whether it's with Shot Tracker or someone else, but using that as an example um, for engaging their students in in some of this stuff. So we can include that there. Absolutely. Yeah. Awesome. Get out with you. Fantastic. Well, uh, final kind of uh, question: How we usually wrap up the show is is obviously it's all about sports. So I want to know. Uh, you mentioned your passion is is why you got involved in in Shot Tracker. So, what is your favourite? Um, Favorite sporting moment of all time? Oh, wow. Favorite sporting moment of all time? Gosh, there's so many. You know, I've been very fortunate. You know, what I think about is Michael Jordan's shot against Utah, Brian Russell. That's, 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 that's one that I talk about, think about. Yeah. Um, but I saw that on television. One I saw that was live was at Golden State. I think it was game seven when LeBron made that block. 
Oh, yeah. Yeah, that was an absolute monster. Yeah. I mean, like, that was incredible. And I was there. And uh, so that, that would be, because I was actually in person for that one. Yeah. That would, that would have to be the, uh, the one that I think about. Because it was an incredible block. He was all the way on the other side of court. Yeah. And he had really played within his realm, you know, and with a team that was, you know, on paper, not necessarily a championship team. So um, I would say those are my two. One live, uh, one, one on television and one in person. Awesome. Well, we'll include some um, link to, to footage of both those uh, in, uh, in the show notes. That sounds good. So there, there is the, uh, a link. Yeah, to, to the, uh, was it the... How they integrate uh, technology in, uh, in, in the classroom, which is, uh, you know, really important. If you can get these students to get access to data that they will be working with outside when they graduate, and they yep. have access to that during college is pretty powerful. Yeah, definitely. And if you're trying to integrate um, something that we've had experience running hackathons and things like that with, with sports data is the students are much more interested in that than working on, say, like actuarial or like insurance data, you know, not to, not to, not to say anything against the actuaries out there or my insurance premiums probably just went through the roof after saying that, but uh, <laughs> There's definitely something a lot more um, engaging with the, with the sports data. Yep. Yeah, fantastic. All right, well, thanks so much for your time today, Davian. As I said, we'll put all that in the, um, in the show notes um, and also kind of uh, extending our concerns, thoughts, prayers to, to David Stern, who obviously is your, one of your uh, advisors and has been a big proponent of, of Shot Trackers going through some medical issues at the moment. So hopefully he pulls through and makes a full recovery and, um, yeah, excited to follow the growth of Shot Tracker in 2020 and beyond. All right, sounds good, man. I appreciate you having me. It was really a pleasure. And there you have it, Davian Ross from Shot Tracker. So, very interesting discussion there. As I mentioned, kind of towards the end, David Stern, former NBA commissioner, is one of their uh, senior advisors and investors. So, wishing David uh, the best of health and recovery. Obviously, David is a very strong proponent of technology and sports, both as it is time uh, at the NBA and then following it with involvement with things like Shot Tracker. So someone who's really contributed to the industry. So on a personal professional level, we'd just like to wish him uh, the best of best of health with, with that ongoing recovery. On next week's podcast, we have Kaylee Wilson, co-founder of Blinder. Blinder is a video tech startup uh, looking at connecting athletes with their fans in a safe and secure way like never before. We talk about how they're doing that, some of the people they've worked with, and then also a really interesting chat on Kaylee's actual entrepreneurial journey himself. So if you're from a sports tech startup or looking to get into one or are interested, like I said, about that kind of fan engagement piece, then really interesting chat for you. As always, please get in touch with us if you have any questions or queries, thomas at sportstechfeed.com. You can also go on sportstechfeed.com for show notes and also to check out previous episodes. Until next week, enjoy your holidays. I hope you overeat and overindulge. It's the season for it, so have fun and we'll catch you next week. (laughs) 